Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mr. Hicks Sports Podcast. We're here getting it in once again, time and time again. So as the week has been going along, my voice has been getting a little better, and the show has been getting a little smoother. I've actually been starting to type everything out before the show, because it turns out that when your handwriting is chicken scratch, it's a little difficult to figure out what you're trying to read on the screen while you're trying to run a show. So now I'm typing things out. Things are going a lot smoother and the shows are shorter. So since they're shorter, I might start adding things to it. Maybe put some music on the front or the back end. I'm still pretty new to this, so I'm not trying to really make it fancy. It's more like get the stuff out there, get it shipped and uh, get the product out to the people. It is what it is. So, uh, so the first today's show is an NBA special, and it's what I call the anti-Jordan effect, the unintended consequences of the greatest player of all time. And this is a part one, because as I started doing research for this, turns out that just a lot, Michael Jordan had a lot of effects on the game that you wouldn't really expect in ways that like, you know, most people had a direct effect of things on the court, but he did things that just really reverberated uh, in ways that you just can't even can't quantify so um i grew up watching michael jordan i'm pretty sure if you're from that era when people try to tell you oh lebron's the greatest you don't even really listen to him you can't i'm not going to deny lebron's numbers lebron's numbers are great but lebron's going to go down as a compiler he's going to be like he played for a really long time he played really well at a high level for longer than most basketball players ever even have a career so good for him for just being built different because he certainly is. He has taken care of his body and ensured that he will have a legacy that is a great legacy, but I still don't think will be as impactful as the great Michael Jeffrey Jordan. So I feel blessed to have grown up and in my lifetime seen guys like Jordan and Kobe and AI and LeBron all in my lifetime. So I'm really kind of blessed for that. But um, I noticed that some players are so good that they can actually uh, change the game, like like literally change the game. Like they have to change rules because of this play. Like for instance, because of Shaq, every arena has to have an extra backboard ready during games. Why? Because when Shaq first came in the league, he had a tendency to literally break, knock down, brunt backboard, destroy. He made a backboard just quit one time. Like he dunked on it and was running away and the crowd started screaming and he looked back and the it, you know it has that like scissor scissor thing and it's hydraulic like the rim just quit it was like no you ain't you ain't about to be dunking on me like that all night and the rim just just slowly just folded down and just laid down in its like natural state i guess you could say and i was like that is absolutely hilarious so because of that um the, the nba has to have a an extra rim just in case shacks in town charles barkley uh, is the reason for the fine five second rule because he was like six six and you know anywhere between like two sixty and two eighty at any given time, he could just call for the ball, stand under the basket, and just pound about ball and put his like that just you know big wide body on you, just lean on you with that old man game and back you down for like the whole goddamn shot clock, just pound the air under the basketball. And because it was just horrible to look at, he would actually repost. He would pass the ball out and then demand the ball again and do it again. It was really hard to watch. Um, apparently, Wilt Chamberlain, like one of the people I did not get to see was Wilt Chamberlain. But Wilt apparently was such a monster that they had to put rules in just for everybody to be able to freaking do anything. Like, 
The shooters cannot, now, cannot cross the free throw line until the ball hits the rim because of Will Chamberlain. Because Will Chamberlain apparently would just throw the ball against the backboard and just run up and dunk it because he couldn't hit free throws. But he could do that, and nobody could really stop him. Uh, they changed the dimensions of the court, the width of the paint, from 12 feet to 16 feet just to keep him out of the damn lane. The lane was too small. He was so big and so long, he could just reach over and do stuff that the other dudes couldn't do. So they had literally made it wider just to stop him. And um, apparently offensive interference was not a thing until he came along because he would actually, people would shoot, and even if the ball was going to be over the cylinder or bounce off, he would just take his own player's like ball that they shot and just dunk it back. Like, there was no such thing as an alley-oop back then. They were just like, screw it, he's down there, and he's being guarded by a mailman. So you know, we'll just <laughs> toss it up there. He'll come down with it anyway. But my point was, like, MJ was so good that he unintentionally changed the games in ways that we still feel today. Like, that whole, like, countdown last-second shot thing. I, he probably wasn't the first person to ever do it, but he had that iconic shot where he turns around and hits the fadeaway jumper against Craig Elo and the um, Cleveland Cavaliers. And I believe it was like, you know, like, like 1986, 87. And that was just such an iconic shot. It was like one of those things where kids like literally like are in their front yard or in their backyard counting down three, two, one, ah, trying to knock that shot down because of watching Jordan do it. And then after Jordan did it, it was like, Everybody has to do it now. Everybody has to be. If you're the best player on the team, you're like people like LeBron catches heat for not taking the last shot. Cause it's like, well, you know, maybe he's not the best shooter and maybe the best shooter should take the last shot. But you know, Jordan kind of make that front made that famous. It might not have been, he was the first one to do it, but he's the one that I remember. So, but the things that he did off the court were really amazing. So, First of all, let's, you got to talk. We talk about Jordan. You got to talk about the shoe deal. I mean, the shoe deal is so ridiculous. He hasn't played basketball in like 30 years, and he can still sell $200 shoes, even though, I mean, he was the greatest of all time. But nobody would anticipate that a guy that's not even playing a game anymore is selling more shoes than the players that are currently playing. So now, because of MJ, Guys can come in and make more money on their shoe deal than they can on their basketball contract when they first get started. Tracy McGrady actually said this in an interview that the first check he ever saw with his name on it was for a million dollars, was cut from a shoe deal from Reebok. And um, so going back to when Nike actually said he actually signed a deal with Nike, he actually didn't want to sign the deal with Nike. At the time, Adidas and Converse pretty much ran the basketball world. Before that, it was literally just Converse. But, um, Converse had, they had Magic and they had Bird. They didn't really give you a whole lot of say in what happened with the shoe. They gave you a shoe. You got to put your name on it. They gave you like a hundred grand and that was it. So, um, he, you know, Jordan wasn't really happy with that deal. And um, Phil Knight really wanted Jordan. So, and Jordan wasn't feeling Nike at all. He just wanted Adidas. So he just kept going back to Adidas, trying to get them to give him a better deal. And Phil Knight called the Michael Jordan's parents and told him the plan that he had for his son. And then that actually got them to go out there. They flew him in, had a big dinner, and they were like, listen, we're going to offer you a $500,000 contract, 250 k up front. And then 
he took it. He actually took the deal and went to Adidas and was like, yo, if you can match this, I'll sign with Adidas. Adidas was like, kick rocks, dude. We're not paying you all that. So, um, but they actually had like some caveats to it. They were like, listen, we're paying you more than all these guys, more than Magic getting paid, more than Birds getting paid. So like, you got to, you know, give us some, some assurances here that you're going to hit these. So, let me see if I can find it. Uh, okay, so here's what he had to do to get the whole thing. They said, okay, in order for you to get the whole thing, the entire amount of money, $500,000, Jordan was going to have to either win Rookie of the Year or be an All-Star or be able to sell $40 million in shoes in the first three seasons. So to give you a kind of an idea of what he did, he literally did all of those things in the first year. He was rookie of the year. He made the all-star team. I think it was it was all NBA. And then as far as the sales went, it was pretty crazy that he actually early order sales brought in over 55 million for Nike and the brand anticipated selling between three and four million pairs in the first year of the shoes release. So Nike had originally projected selling of just 100,000 pairs of the shoe uh, in 1985, they thought they were going to sell a hundred thousand pairs in the, like the, in, in the year of 1985 when they gave them the deal, and they sold between three and four million pairs of those shoes at sixty five dollars a pair. At the time, was an astronomical sum as well. Again, yeah, so that was really a, an amazing thing that that, that Jordan had something to, not only something to do with, but the deals just got bigger and bigger. And like some people, like his agent talked about it. It was like, if I'd have known it was going to do that and it was going to make that many sales, I would have asked for more. But no one would have believed that it was going to make that kind of money just because Michael Jordan's name was on it. Like it was a, the black and red shoes, the, the, the Air Jordans were so iconic, number one, because he had some say in the design. He actually didn't want a shoe that was as high as the high tops that were out right then. So Nike said, we will change them. And no one ever had a shoe like changed just because you asked them to. The other thing was, I think your shoe had to be all one color at the time and your team pretty much all had to wear the same shoe. So Michael Jordan got fined $5,000 every single game when he wore those shoes and Nike paid it. Nike paid it because they wanted him to keep wearing the shoe. It was a big controversy that he did it and it was like free advertising because every time he wore the game, wore it, it was like he was the only one whose shoes looked different. And that was a good, really good play by Nike. So the second thing I want to go into, and this was really ridiculous, but um, like Michael Jordan by default made the luxury tax and was responsible for max contracts. So in 1994, Michael Jordan was making $3.8 million. And this is in the Bulls when he was like, and right at the beginning before that next championship run. So, $3.8 million today is nothing. Like, Spencer Dimwitty makes that. And like, he, by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if Spencer Dimwitty makes more than that. At the time, people don't notice, for the majority of Michael Jordan's career, he did not even make the most amount of money on his own team. So, Scottie Pippen at the time and Tony Kukoc were both making more than Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But he became a free agent in 1995. And when that happened, he broke the bank. And when I say he broke the bank, he broke the bank in a way that was absolutely, like, ridiculous. So, 
don't know if you know this, Michael Jordan signed that, that year, he signed a one-year deal for $30 million. Now, in 2022, a $30 million basketball contract does not sound crazy. So you would imagine back then, it, 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 it is pretty crazy. But let me tell you how crazy it is. He made $30 million that year on a one-year deal. The NBA's salary cap at the time was 27. Yes, Michael Jordan made an entire salary cap by himself. How is that possible, you might add? Well, there was a salary cap, but there was no penalty if you wanted to go over it. And a lot of teams just didn't want to go over it. So the way he was able to do it was like, they, Michael wouldn't sign with them. Michael was their entire team. Nobody, you know, you certainly don't want to have to play against Michael Jordan. So they signed him. But in order to actually field an entire basketball team, they had to go almost double over the salary cap. And then 1997, 90, the 97, 98, uh, he went for, it was like $33 million when the salary cap was 26. So it was like, it's insane. <laughs> So Jordan's $33.1 million a year was more than the average team payroll at the time. When I tell you he broke the bank, he broke the bank. Michael Jordan for those years was making more money than an entire NBA team. I just can't get over that. That number, that $33 million was the highest single season salary until LeBron and Steph broke it 20 years later, in like 2017, 2018. That is insane. So the Bulls' payroll at the time was almost double what anybody else's was. They played In 1998, they played the Utah Jazz in the finals. Their payroll was $32.8 million more than a team, the, the, the Utah Jazz's payroll. So... Shortly thereafter, when they did the next collective bargaining agreement, the next deal with the players, they put in two things. They put in a a luxury tax. So basically, if you went over the cap, you had to give a one-for-one dollar match to the league for every dollar that you went over the salary cap. At the time, there was no such thing. And the second thing was they put in a max contract. So that basically is like you're not – you don't have one player – making, I, I I thought at the time, when they told me it was really big, I imagine he made 30 and the salary cap was like 60 and he's still making half of it is ridiculous. He made, I, I still, I'm looking at it and it's still hard to believe. Uh, by the way, this article that I'm getting out of is off of, um, it's uh, off of NBC Sports and um I had another one was from the complex, the informational issue. I like to make sure that I give everybody the credit where credit is due on this stuff. And it's a, just a good practice because eventually somebody might sue you over this stuff. So that's my show. And I wanted to just just, just emphasize that, that somebody, there, there's good players, there's great players, there's players that change the game. Like they have to actually change the game of basketball. And then there's Michael. Michael didn't just change the game of basketball on the court. He changed the game of basketball off the court. And I don't know a whole lot of dudes that can say that. That's my show, y'all, tonight. Have a good one.